Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University, and I am your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Jen Rafferty. Uh, of course, you know, most of my guests I connect with on social media, and we're going to have her on and talk about her entrepreneurial journey and the work that she's doing. And she's doing something interesting, something different, something, quite honestly, I'm like, okay. And I want to know how schools are responding to this, because normally people, as you know, as all of us know, when we get PD at schools, it is always about a program that somebody bought. <laughs> I see the face over there. Is it something that we bought? Or uh, whether it be a curriculum or some sort of technology tool, that is pretty much the extent of the PD uh, we get. And the other PD that we're going to get into with Jen in terms of what her company does, that is important, but schools don't talk about it. And I think that it would be grateful schools to start to implement those type of practices because that could help possibly re with retention um, and bring, you know, more happiness into the, the school setting. Uh, so for those who will be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Jen? Hi, thank you so much for having me. So I'm Jen Rafferty, and I am the founder of Empowered Educator, which is a program that is teacher-centered, which, as you said, is a little unusual, and really focuses on the social-emotional well-being of the adults in schools. And I'm so glad to talk with you today because my entrepreneurial journey really officially started a little over a year ago, although I've been dabbling in it pretty much my whole career. So I'm excited to talk about my journey and, and share some of the things that I've learned along the way. Mm -hmm. So how did you, cause look, I'm always curious. I'm 48 years old and the 18 year old me never envisioned me doing what I do for my full time. The 20 year old didn't envision, the 30 year old did not envision me doing the work that I am doing now. So I'm always curious how do we're curious about how people get to where they are. What did you think you'll be doing when you were growing up? And how did you find yourself in K through 12 education? Well, I always knew I wanted to be a music teacher. That was something that was in my bones. And it was really more like a calling than a choice. I remember being in seventh grade in my choir and saving the the dittos that would come because I knew I might need them one day when I was in my own classroom. <laughs> so it was just something I always knew. I, I, I loved music. I loved performing. I loved singing. But more importantly, I loved sharing the music. I loved the connection that it brought. I loved how you can invoke a feeling from somebody sitting in the audience, from the art that you are creating. And I found such community in in making music. So I started my career as a music teacher, mostly teaching middle school. 
which was fantastic. Middle school is totally my jam. I loved every minute of it for the most part and, you know, expanded what I did. And I created a modern band program at the high school level, which got kids learning guitar and bass and drums and keyboard. And now they're at a point where they're producing, recording, performing their own music out and about. And that was really wonderful to see that grow. And I, I mentioned that too, because that was an important part of my entrepreneurial journey later on. But I always knew that I had something to share. I, I had a point of view. And when I would go to these conferences and I would see the older folks <laughs> present and speak, I used to think to myself, you know, I, I have something to say. I, I have something to share. And, and I always felt really empowered to share the things that I was doing. I almost felt it was a responsibility I had as an educator to share my story so other people could learn and we could, again, create community and connect. And that's how we grow as a profession. So entrepreneurship was not something that I had envisioned for myself either when I was younger, but definitely something that I was able to wrap my head around as I moved further along in my career. And certainly when the pandemic happened, everything changed then. So I did not think I was going to be doing this when I first started. So sometimes I feel like I am on, on an island by myself. What was happening in your life when the thought of becoming an entrepreneur hit you? Mm. Well, like I said, I'd kind of been on this conference track for a while, you know, throughout my career, but I published my book in 2019, December, and also around the same time, um, my husband at the time and I decided we were going to get a divorce. And I moved out of our, the house into our, where I am now, the weekend that the world shut down. And so everything that I was prior to that moment in time, everything shifted and everything shifted for everybody, but it was my identity as, you know, my wife, I was no longer wife. I was no longer in the place that I lived. I was now homeschooling my own two children, trying to figure out how to teach music online. I wasn't standing in front of my choirs. I wasn't a conductor or a musical director like I used to be. And I had to, first of all, mourn the loss that, uh, you know, of, of this old me and looking back, it didn't feel this way at the time, but I had a real opportunity to recreate myself in a way that aligns with who I really wanted to be. And so I dove into mindset work. I started my PhD in educational psychology and I took off a year from teaching to homeschool my own two children from th that 2020, 2021 year. That's another podcast day. I can talk to you about that whole journey. It was, it was an adventure. Um, but what occurred to me was my values shifted all of a sudden. And I was really connected to my purpose, my why, which has always been to inspire people to discover their voice, which was quite literal when I was teaching music. But now here I was in a new space. I started to play with the idea, well, what what if I was able to do this in another way? And so I resigned from teaching and I immediately, almost immediately, <laughs> established my business and got my LLC. And it's been off to the races since then. Hmm. Well, I want to dive a little deeper right there because a lot of educators 
and I would assume this is with a lot of other professions that require you to go to school for several years and to take that exam and to get credentials in order for you to get that profession. So many of us get wrapped into our identities as an educator and get so uh, have so much tunnel vision or short-sighted in what does that mean, right? So instead of you sort of getting into the field and open to the possibilities of, you know, I can still be an educator. I can can, can live out my life's purpose of wanting to be an educator by, you know, maybe I work at a mu museum or, Maybe I work at a, a for-profit company uh, doing learning and, and development. Maybe I do an X, Y, and Z. The, 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 it's like I'm here. I'm going to be at the school system, and maybe I become an academic coach. Maybe I become an instructional technologist or a curriculum person at the district office. But it is so wrapped up into this building, four-walls mindset, that a lot of us will be at a school district and will suffer. Like we will hate our principal, right? We will hate the kids at our school and still won't leave because we are so again, wrapped up in uh, this is what teaching is. Instead of understanding you don't have to work at that school <laughs> anymore, right? Uh, you don't even have to leave the teaching profession you could go to another school. You know, no one says you, you got to die there. Uh, but the whole mindset of just like, I'm just going to, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be here. And when you talked about how you started going through this self-discovery and analysis of yourself and understanding, Hey, I'm not giving up my calling for teaching. What I'm going to do is how I deliver that, how I manifest that. Is going to be different. Please speak to that mindset so that those educators who may listen to this podcast, who wake up every day just dreaming of if I could choke my administrator and get away with it, I would. You know, talk talk about that for a minute. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm like just busy writing things down so I don't forget my thoughts over here. So I think there's a couple of things we need to address because this is a really big question. I think first of all we need to to expand our definition of what it means to be an educator. That being a teacher does not mean that you have to be in the classroom necessarily. And to that regard, you know, there is this incredible tradition that we have in this profession that we do, as you just said, you land a job right out of college when, you know, your, your brain isn't even fully developed yet, right? Let's just be real about that. So you, you land this job, and then there's this traditional expectation that you stay there for 30 years until you retire. And in the middle, we're often counting down the years until you get to said retirement, <laughs> right? And the, the truth is, you know, tradition in, in many cases in, in my world, and I joke about this, tradition is just peer pressure from dead people. And when, when I say this, it it's, it's means that we need to make conscious choices that is reflective of the world that we're living in now. And right now, it might not 
be the best choice for teachers to stay in a job for 30 years. There's growth that can happen moving elsewhere, but it's that expectation of, well, you are supposed to stay keeps us aligned to a life and desires and a tradition that's not really ours. And so I want to talk about alignment too, because this is some of the stuff that comes up a lot and knowing who you are, what you want and where you want to go is essential for making decisions that align with that not necessarily your current reality. So if you are one of those teachers listening right now, and, and it's exactly what Dr. Will described, then that's your reality. Well, then you have an opportunity to ask yourself, well, who do I want to be? How do I want to feel? Well, excuse me, what do I want to be like when I get up in the morning? And then you have an opportunity to make choices that align with that vision, not the one where you're getting up every day and just hating every minute of it because you've got one life, people. <laughs> you've got one. And furthermore, and, and this will be the, the last thing that I, I speak to about this is, uh, at least for now, <laughs> is how are you showing up for your kids? What impact are you making when you show up hating your job? What are you teaching them? Because it doesn't matter what you say, they see you, they see right through you. And what you're teaching them is that it is okay to be unhappy, that longevity is more important than, than living your dreams and burnout is normal and it is the way it is. And I think this is the most important point of all of this is that you are teaching them that you don't feel worthy enough to even want more. That is a huge message. And that's really, I've got chills just even thinking about that. Like that's really what the work that I do tries to, um, we try to shift the paradigm <laughs> because this model that we're describing right now is not sustainable for the teachers and it is not working for the kids who are going through these school systems. Mm. But so many of us, don't think of ourselves as worthy, right? We, we, you know, you can talk about happiness and happiness can, you know, define differently for, for everyone. But to say that you are worthy of respect or happiness or, or worthy of being treated as professional uh, a lot of people, again, there is like I, I, I'm an employee. I, I show up to work, right? They don't take ownership over their own well-being, let alone taking ownership over their professional lives. And I tell teachers all the time, you own your career. You may work for that school district, but you own your career and you owe it to yourself to where. Uh, from my own perspective, being an instructional technologist, that you learn these tools. You learn how to teach in this way, not because your school district is saying, oh, we are blended learning or we're going to be going virtual as the pan with the pandemic hit or whatever. But you learn it because you need to take control over your career, have these experiences, get the receipts so that when you want to go somewhere, 
whether it's starting your own business or you're like, yo, I want to go work for Apple to be an Apple uh, learning consultant, or I want to go do X, Y, and Z, you can do it because you have put in the work to invest in yourself, right? So why do you think so many of us don't think of ourselves as being worthy and not investing in ourselves to get to that place where we are in alignment to what our values are? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And that is also another really big one because worthiness happens from when we were kids. The idea of feeling worthy happens when, you know, when we are a video camera from, you know, third trimester through about age seven, we are just gathering information through our subconscious and making meaning of it regarding how it relates to us. Right. So I'll, I'll just give you an example, you know, make, making this up right now, you know, you are in your bedroom and you overhear your parents fighting about what he seems to be money. Well, six-year-old you makes this meaning of money's bad. It causes people to fight. I, I don't think I like money. Right. And this is all subconscious. This isn't something that, you know, six-year-old you is really contemplating over here. This is just what happens. So then when you get older, your six-year-old is running the show. <laughs> so when you're in a place where you're considering making more money, or you have an opportunity where you can move over here or over there and make more money, your subconscious will actively prevent you from doing so because you've inherited this belief that money is bad. Money causes arguments Money is not something that I want to actually have. So it doesn't matter how much you want it. You are actively working against your, you know, your neuropsychology of how you were, how, how you grew up. And, and the thing about that is it's no one's fault, right? This is just life. And it doesn't matter if you had the best childhood in the world or you had big T trauma. We all experience this this view of the world because we're developing until age seven where we have no context of anything. So the saboteur for worthiness happens well before we even realize it, which is again, why understanding that is the first step. And then the second step is making a different choice that aligns with who you want to be. So you can do the inner work, figure it out, and then actually make the choices to go ahead and live your dreams, whatever they are. Mm. People, look, I don't have anything to sip on right now. I need to be sipping something because what? Your boy, Jen, I'm telling you, she is bringing it this morning. Okay. Ooh. Now, look, we got to get into your company now because you are just, you got me on fire right now. So, so tell us about the Empowered Educator. How did it go from the thought of I have to do something different and this is tugging at me to actually making it a reality. So this was a, a kind of a funny story. Looking back at the time, there was a lot of sobby tears, <laughs> but right now I can look back and laugh a little bit. Um, I had, I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to run a business. I'm going to be an entrepreneur now and I'm going to resign from teaching and it's going to be great. 
Well, in the meantime, and now that we kind of have this context of what's going on subconsciously, right? And the worthiness piece and the, the can I do this piece, the fear, I was applying to all these other jobs at the same time. And I couldn't wait for them to give me an offer. So I could say, oh, no, thank you. I'm going to actually start a business, but thank you for offering me this job. That was what I thought was going to happen in my head. I couldn't wait for this to happen. Well, <laughs> lo and behold, I literally didn't get a single interview. And I share this with such confidence because I was so overly qualified for all of the jobs that I had applied for, but the truth was I didn't really want them. So the energy that I was putting in and the effort that I was putting in to make these you know, applications and do this process was totally not, the energy wasn't aligned. I, I really didn't want that. But at the same time, it was preventing me from going full on in my business. I had like a toe in either thing. And so I wasn't really doing anything really well. So when I found out this one particular job was a no-go, I didn't even get a phone call, sobby mess on my couch, cry, crying to my girlfriends, like, what did I do? I quit my job. I have kids to feed. I, I know I'm a single mom. What did I do? How am I supposed to do this? But I have to tell you that it wasn't until that plan was burned to the ground that I was actually able to fully go forth with the things that I wanted to do. So I kid you not, I was talking with another friend of mine and we were actually talking about his business and he just said something to me that just struck me. And, and he said, well, you know, I really like to build things. And I was like, oh, I like to build things. I've built things. I've built lots of things. And I built that modern band program, which I referred to before that that was so successful. And I built that from nothing. I can build something from nothing. And the next morning it was like a download. And all of a sudden empowered educator, the eight tenants came flying out of my fingers onto my keyboard. And all of a sudden I had a framework and it was my life's work right there in front of me. And I then just kept going. <laughs> Nothing was going to stop me then at that point. I was, I was ready to go. Mm -hmm. So I, listen, I, I got to talk. We're going to get into those attendance because we're going to take a deeper dive in the business, but I want to talk to you because you, you, you mentioned how you, were having these toes and different things be, because there was something like not quite sure about going out on your own because when you got that job, what you know you're going to get is a check and health insurance and dental insurance and vision and all of those things, you know, uh, comforts of the world. And a lot of people... Uh, we know don't have those things. And so it's it's a great cushion and comfort to have have those. And when you go on this side, particularly full time, where you're like, I don't know what this lane is going to have. Hey, that's a different type of conversation. So as an entrepreneur, I want you to get into the scarcity versus abundance mindset, right? How have you pushed forward and grown your business without allowing self-doubt to limit your work? So self-doubt and fear never go away. I think that there is this false idea that once you've made it past a certain point, you're good to go. <laughs> and I, I imagine I'm, I'm going to take a, a guess here that you've experienced self-doubt along your journey as well. Yeah, still have it. 
still have it, right. This doesn't just go away. And so once you realize this, and again, I have learned a lot of this work and studied this mindset work, so I understand how it works. So, so once you understand that truly this is just about your biology trying to keep you safe, then you can dance with it a little bit and be able to make different decisions that again, align with your vision. So there's, there's two things I want to talk about that, that can be really concrete, maybe for people who are listening. So the first thing is you need to have a clear vision. If you don't know where you're going, then how are you going to get there? There is no way to get there. If, if you don't really understand what you want, what does that look like? How does that feel? feel? What are you doing? Who are you with? What are you saying yes to? What are you saying no to? What are you available for? What are you not available for? And when you write that out and it's crystal clear, then you have something to align your decisions with. And it's it's really not just your decisions. It's everything. It's the language that you use. And your language is so much more powerful than you even realize, right? That's affirming the things that you are thinking. And if you're not thinking things that are aligned with your vision, you're either working for yourself or against yourself. There's, there's no middle grounds right there. So becoming super aware of what that vision is, is the first thing. And then the second thing is understanding how fear and self-doubt work and its role in, in the way that you operate as a human being. So uh, I'll, I'll make this as brief as possible because this can get a little bit lengthy, but you know, your brain's really its main function is to keep you alive. Okay. So if you woke up this morning, it's totally winning. <laughs> it's did its job. You did it. It's great. It doesn't care if you're thriving. It doesn't care if you're learning. It doesn't care if you're living your dreams. It doesn't care if you're reaching your goals of being an entrepreneur. It just wants to make sure that you are alive. Okay. But the good news is, is that you're not your brain. You're a person who has a brain. And when you develop this working relationship with it, again, you can navigate this. So anything outside of your comfort zone, your brain immediately recognizes as unsafe because it has no evidence that you've done this before and stayed alive. So that moment when I was ready to go into entrepreneurship and all of that self-doubt was coming through, which caused me to apply to all of these other jobs, my brain was looking for evidence, searching, searching, searching. Has Jen made it out alive and, and owns a business? We have no evidence of this. Stop, 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 stop. Shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. And so things creep up like self-doubt, like procrastination, like overwhelm, exhaustion. These, these are really sneaky ways that your brain gets you to stay small because it just thinks it's keeping you safe. And once you recognize the overwhelm, the procrastination, the self-doubt as a fear flavor, then you realize, okay, thank you, brain. <laughs> thank you so much for doing your job. I got this. Because if you're not able to play with it in that way, you will never actually get to where you want to go. So it really was those two things. It's visualization and understanding the role of fear and self-doubt. Mm -hmm. So take us behind the curtain. What are your eight tenants? What services do you offer? And how did you figure out your what? Mm. So the eight tenants were really, like I said, my life's work. It was like this download that happened. So we've got every empowered educator has a crystal clear mission, has their own beautiful, juicy vision. 
They understand the role of metacognition, which is kind of the stuff that I was just explaining before of really how your brain works, has a practice of reflection, understands advocacy, knows the power of their language, has a consistent practice of self-care and has high emotional intelligence. And through those eight tenets, there are several workshops that I go through to really embody and, and um, walk people through the process of gaining those things and creating it to be their own. Because my way isn't necessarily everyone's way. What I provide is a framework and kind of a, a loose recipe for them to follow so they can add their own special sauce to it. And so the programs I offer are, are great because what I'm doing now is I'm going into schools and working with teacher centers and other regional programs, working with school districts. I work one-on-one -on -one with some clients as well to really leverage the concepts of mindset and, um, and cognitive neuroscience and emotional intelligence so they can show up as their best selves. And therefore, show up for the kids and show them that there is another way because you know like i said before right now we're we're teaching kids how to live with burnout and they deserve so much more than that so while yes this is a teacher centered program it's actually really about kids <laughs> so how did you discover that that was going to be your lane because as you know that's a different that's a different lane right there because you know a lot of us who get into this this game of of consulting or coaching um you have your, your you know your leadership lane and what that can entail of course you have your curriculum your curriculum mapping your technology uh integration online learning blended learning uh those things diversity and, and inclusion uh culturally responsive teaching but to do the work that you are doing, that's different. I have not heard of another educational consultant saying this is the work that I'm doing. The closest, you know, there's a couple of people, you know, that I hear is doing, you know, some work, you know, similar, like, you know, Mandy, some other, a couple of people. But I think your approach to it is very original. Uh, how did you discover that this was going to be what you were going to base your company, your work around? So I've been in hundreds of PD hours, just like everyone else here. <laughs> and especially as a music teacher, I have sat there thinking to myself, what does this even have to do with me? Why am I here? I am never going to get this hour, two hours, three hours of my life back, you know, and, and there's such a disconnect. And then that compiles and compounds and becomes resentment. And I can even feel it right here in, in, in my body. It's like all, all tensed up in my chest of just how I felt sitting through these horrible things. Right. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what initiative it is. And it could be any one of those that you described, which are valid in their own right. But if a teacher isn't coming to a PD ready to learn, they're not going to. And the thing is, it's so ironic. We know this about our kids. <laughs> we, we are pretty good at talking about this about when, when it comes to our, our students, but particularly through the pandemic, teachers are experiencing an unprecedented amount of stress 
pressure, overwhelm, frustration, and they are leaving the profession in droves. And if we are not addressing their social, emotional well-being, nothing that you give to them is going to work. Because if they are activated and their nervous system feels as if they are being chased by a bear, their part of their brain that's responsible for fight, flight, or freeze is activated, the part of their brain that's now responsible for creative thinking and problem solving and executive function is shut off because of that flip of to fight, fight, or freeze. How are we expected to sit into a professional development by curriculum and actually get something from you? You just can't. So the work that I do with teachers makes all the other work work. You have to do this work because in my world, empowered educator world, and the teachers that I've worked with, the administrators of school districts, we're creating communities where it's totally cool to be like, hey, Dr. Will, I'm going to be like two minutes late to this faculty meeting because I need to calm down my nervous system. And you're like, okay, Jen, cool. Take your time. <laughs> and then what do I do? I relax. I'm able to connect, calm down my nervous system, and then come into the meeting completely clear headed so I can actually pay attention. And then I go home to my family as a totally different person because I'm regulated, because I'm not activated. I'm able to be present with my kids. And then I get up the next morning ready to go back to work. And unless we have this piece, nothing's going to change. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And we can't keep throwing the same old stuff at it. It's not working. Mm. So how do you, I definitely take deeper dive in your work, but how do you get schools to understand this when we have situations going all around the country where, okay, first of all, teachers are human beings. Sure. And as human beings, they have lives outside of that school and outside of the school, lives can be, be complicated. It can be messy. You can have a teacher who, had a rough morning with their child that morning, or they got into an argument with their spouse, or they could have a, a parent going through something. And so when they get to work, they are already emotionally at a certain level. Then they get a student who is acting up and they tell that student to go to the office. And when that student gets to the office, instead of that school administrator dealing with that student, they send the student back. So now the teacher who was already at a certain level, now this teacher is at a at like, whoo, because the teacher is like, listen, I was already, I started the day at a certain, I was already stressed. I was already angry. I was already upset. This kid who wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing, knew what they weren't supposed to be doing. I sent them out to go to the administrator who I expect to have my back to handle their business. They didn't do it. Now that kid coming back, I'm like, why is this kid back here? So now I'm angrier, right? And the, now you know the kid in his mind saying, I'm going to act a fool again because all they did was send me back. So now you're getting that teacher to the point to where if that teacher isn't careful, they can do something that's going to get them in trouble. Not to mention if this happens too often, you have teachers who just said, Forget it. I'm out. They can leave before the school year out or won't even sign that contract because they do not feel that emotional safety and support at their school district. So we know 
All right. I'm I'm giving you a scenario and you're shaking your head because, you know, we know this. Everyone has seen this or maybe have experienced this or had a friend or a colleague experience this in a school on a regular basis at school district. When schools themselves are allowing this to happen, how do you sell them on the need for this type of work? when this isn't something they normally make a part of their PD decisions? So a couple things there. And I fully felt that scenario. And I hear that a lot with the teachers I work with. Organizational structures and systems don't change until people change. That administrator is also probably up to his eyeballs in whatever stuff is going on and is reacting in a way that is survival mode for him too, right? And when we're all in survival mode, we can't thrive. So I ask very clearly, what is the vision for your school district? What is the vision for your students? How would you like to see a school where your teachers are so happy to come to work? Where, where you have a dramatic decrease in student referrals because the teachers themselves aren't getting activated by the kids, where you see increased retention rates, where you see community of teachers who aren't complaining or counting down the days until they retire. What kind of school district do you do you see for yourself? And that's one of the things that I, I, I talk with school leaders about. But the other piece of it is I often start working with teachers. And this is also really different about my program is that this isn't top-down initiative is, oh, Jen's coming in here with a powered educator. And I got the teacher sitting there with her arms crossed. Like, what, what are you going to teach me today? What, you know, what is this PD that I'm getting here? You know, that's, that's not how I roll. When I start with the teachers, which is why I often work with my own programs or I work with teacher centers that are by teachers for teachers, they start to embody this work, get to know this work. And then they're the ones going to their administrators saying, you got to get this program in here. You got to get this in here. And this is why, and this is what I felt. And this is what I felt. And that's really organically how my program has grown. Um, and now I'm working with a subset of administrators themselves. And then that's going to start to grow from there because I'll tell you also, you know, like I said, this is a baby business. <laughs> I started this just a little over a year ago. And so, um, I am learning the ways in which this can go and grow and work, but it is catching on like wildfire because people need this. People know that they need this. And to be honest, this is why the social emotional programs that we buy for school for kids, they don't work because you can't throw up a YouTube video on empathy and expect the kids to get something out of it. If you yourself have no self-awareness or self-regulation skills to in those moments where that kid is causing you conflict and you wanna call and say, get out, but you don't realize that you or yourself are activated, of course they're not gonna work because again, they're watching more than they're listening. So regulated teachers make regulated students, empowered teachers, empower their students, happy teachers, make happy students. And if we're not doing that, then, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Mm. All right. Hey, I hear you. I hear you. Look, I have, I've been working on myself. I, I've been working on myself. I, I, 
I had a rough couple of years and I was angry. I was upset. I wasn't happy. And uh, I had sort of heard some things about myself that I was uh, a bit rude. Uh, but and and the rudeness came from just me being short with people. Um, but part part I mean there was a lot of things that were wrapped up to it. But you know it was an issue of for me I love this ed tech game. I love innovation. I love digital transformation. And it's sort of my job to sort of bring that to the forefront of my district, yet I have no power. <laughs> I, have, I have no power to make any, you know, like anything, anything happen. And so for me, when I sort of wasn't seeing things get to a certain, certain point, I just be, and I didn't know how to articulate this until I saw something on a YouTube video. And then I had just started therapy. And when I brought it up to my therapist and she broke it down and explained to me, and then, okay. And then going through therapy, I started to see the light, right? So I'm far more happier now because I no longer, you know, when it comes to certain things, I no longer have expectations, right? Because expectations, when they are not met, breed anger and resentment. And <laughs> you talk about somebody who, I'm telling you, boy, I was at that point where I was just real unhappy. And I was, oh, hoo -hoo. and I, I told my supervisor uh, uh, about it. And I was like, look, this, I ain't happy. You know, blah, blah, blah. She was real cool. She did reach out to me, ask, hey, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. But it was through therapy. And then I changed therapists because I wanted to find a therapist that shared my faith and brought that faith perspective into it uh, because there was a certain way I wanted to grow and see the world. But throughout that, that process, I was able to get to a point to where uh, I can catch myself, like when I feel that anger coming, right? When I feel it, when I'm triggered, I can I can go and pray and and sort of work it out and get back. Oh, well, in some levels, I don't care because you talk about showing up. I'm my goal is to control what I can control, right? And I can control how I show up. So I'm going to be the best will I can be. Now, what you do with that is entirely on your own. If you don't use Schoology, if you don't implement this program, if you don't infuse the practices that I try to coach and consult and teach, that is somebody else's problem. That is not mine. Now, before therapy, I took that all on my shoulders and it was just eating at me and eating at me and I was ooh, I was ready I was ready to explode I was like ooh. but I always want to say in doing this work there is no such thing as a a cure because you can always have that moment which 
I had a couple of weeks ago. You know, I always have that moment where you sort of can still lose it or things come out. But I love what you're talking about and people, yes, maybe I've shared too much in that, but I wanted to, to, to let people know that as you mentioned, you have to be at a certain place in your life uh, to show up. And if not, you, you won't be able to show up, you know what I'm saying? As, as your, as your best self. Right. And, and I did a PD yesterday and even one of the teachers was saying, I do see something different about you. That's a little, that's a light. I was like, I told her, I said, girl, therapy works. Uh, because I've been, you know, just working on just trying to get to a point again with the clinical piece, along with my, with my, my faith and just getting to a point where it's like, look, you know, I can never control the outcome of a situation, but I can control how I show up, how I respond. And that's sort of been my mindset and and working through it, through everything. And so for me, that has taken a load off of me, a, a, a huge load, because I'm just not, I'm just no longer concerning myself about stuff because I don't control the outcome. I can't control what an administrator is going to do. I, I can't control what a teacher is going to do. I can't control what my supervisor is going to do. I can't even control what my district is going to do. Like they may say next year we're we're moving to Canvas. Well, okay, we're we're moving to Canvas. Uh so the only thing that I can do is control how I respond, how I think, how I show up. So I'm glad you brought that up. And so with that, I want to get into what SEL is for teachers and administrators, because we've all heard of this for students, you know, where there's pro, you know, programs like The Leader in Me, based upon Covey's work and others out there. We, we've heard of these things. But when it comes to grown folk, what is SEL and what does that look like? So I think it's really about some of the things you just said is understanding the tools that you need to become aware of yourself. That self-awareness piece is huge. And then that self-regulation piece. So that's, that's a big um, umbrella over what I do. I mean, I, I went through the eight tenants, so it kind of breaks it down there, but, but to me, it's under the umbrella of awareness and self-regulation because you're right. There's doesn't matter how much work that you do in this regard. It doesn't matter how much therapy you go to. It doesn't matter how, how long you've been doing this. You're human. <laughs> and, and that's beautiful. So, you know, we're, we're closing the gap between the event causing some sort of reaction in you and the noticing of what's going on. And once that gap is closer together, then you can make conscious choices of what to do next. Because again, you know, we are running on autopilot. 95 to 97% of the time, our subconscious runs the show, right? So we're reacting to things because they're habitual. An administrator writes you an email in the morning, says, please come see me by the end of the day. Right. We all know what that's like. So then habitually we all get our systems get jacked up and our mind races a mile a minute and goes down the rabbit hole of, you know, what did I do wrong? Right. And usually it's 
I, I, they wanted to pay you compliments <laughs> or, or, or here's a letter that a parent, you know, whatever, you know, but, but we do that because our systems have been trained to do that, which is really efficient for our brain because our brain can do all these other things if we're going on autopilot, but it's not very good at making conscious choices of what we want to do. If we want to actually get out of that state of anger, frustration, or overwhelm or anxiety. So SEL for teachers, for me, is about sharpening and stretching that notice muscle mm. and then knowing what to do about it. So one of the really easy ways to do this is, is actually by purposeful breathing. And when I talk about this, people are like, Jen, breathing is really going to change the systems of our schools. Like, no, that's ridiculous. Breathing is not going to change the problems of our world, but breathing is going to allow you the opportunity to be self-aware of what's going on inside of your body. So feelings happen in our body, thoughts happen in our mind. Mm -hmm. And the thing about social emotional learning is that we like to talk about emotions, but we don't actually show kids ways to process them. We don't show, we don't model how to handle our anger effectively and in a way that's really healthy, right? My seven-year-old has no problem screaming and hollering at the top of her lungs when she's annoyed about something. But when you get to a certain age, that's no longer appropriate anymore. But there isn't other explicit options of how to deal with things like crying and sadness or anger or anxiety or over, we just don't know what, so what do we do? We just push it down, right? We push it down, push it down, push it down. We have a job to do, we gotta show up for the kids. You know, we have to show up for this meeting or you know, get the kids from soccer or whatever it is. But those feelings live in your body and they have to go somewhere. So what happens? You get sick or if you're me, your back goes out <laughs> and it's no longer sustainable anymore. So first of all, it's understanding that feelings, we have to, we have to talk about them. <laughs> we have to talk about them because they are such an, an important and undernourished part of our human experience that if we're not talking about our emotions, we're missing a big part of what it is to be human. And so acknowledging that emotions are neurocircuitry in your brain. You think a thought, it turns on a neurocircuitry in your brain. It creates a um, reaction in your system that is a feeling, which only takes 90 seconds to go through your whole body. And until you, unless you think that thought over and over again, it will actually stop. And your thoughts are options. Your thoughts are not facts. So you actually get to choose the thoughts that you want to attach to that, again, aligns you with who you want to be. So in that moment, do you really want to be that person hollering and yelling and feeling angry or, you know, feeling the things that you were just describing about your experience when you were going through that time, unless you are aware of what that feels like physically, where the emotions happen you're not going to get it. So breathing on purpose is a really good way to just stop what's going on in the middle of the day and just check in with yourself. Um, a really simple breathing exercise that I use all the time. I practice everything that I teach uh, is a box breath. Inhale for four counts, hold for four counts, exhale for four counts, hold for four counts. You do that three times. And while, yeah, you might feel relaxed and that's great. What you're really doing is you're calming down your nervous system and you're stretching that notice muscle of, whoa, I really had a lot of tension in my stomach right there. What was that about? What was I just thinking? Or, oh, my shoulders were all hunched over. Hmm. That's interesting. And it gives you a chance to just relax. Otherwise you are on default all day and nothing changes if nothing changes. 
So in doing that, how do you get educators to shift their mindsets from martyrdom mm. to self-actualization? Mm. <laughs> so martyrdom is such an interesting word in education. You know, we go into this service industry with full hearts. And like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, it becomes part of our identity is that we're here to serve and we're here to serve kids and we're here to change the world. And it comes traditionally at a very high cost to our well-being. And the message, the fundamental message and the fundamental principle of all of my work and everything I do is the most generous thing you can do for other people is take care of yourself. And that is a radical idea in education until we really start to break down and understand what it means because it's just what you were explaining before. You are the only person responsible for how you show up in the space. And if you are showing up exhausted and angry and resentful and counting down the days till Friday and waiting until your retirement, you're not actually doing the things that you said that you wanted to do in the first place, first of all. And second of all, if you're not taking care of yourself, yourself first, you're not, again, modeling what it is to be a fully functional, healthy adult. And you're not able to hold space for the kids who desperately need you, especially now. You can't, you're not, you are literally not available. And so until we start doing the introspective work, and which, by the way, I'm so glad you shared what you did, because the truth is, I would love to see a world where seeing a therapist is just as common as, oh, hey, I'm going to the gym and got a personal trainer. No one thinks twice when you join a gym, but, but therapy, you know, is just starting to come out of the taboo, right? Um, I like to say, you know, you can't read the label from inside the wine bottle. <laughs> like, like you need someone to see you for what's going on because you, you, you don't have that objective perspective when you're in your stories. Um, so, you know, self-actualization happens when you prioritize yourself, which, you know, and I talk to, you know, teachers, educators, moms, especially, and that's a crazy idea for a lot of people. But again, if you are the only person responsible for how you show up, then you better make yourself the first priority because when you show up well-rested, happy, satiated, then you're available for everything and everyone who you decide gets your time, energy, and attention. And then you also get to decide when it's enough and what you're not available for anymore. But you, you, you cannot do that until you look inward and know that you are worthy enough to do that introspective work in the first place. Mm -hmm. People, people, I'm telling you, the show is back. The show is back. Uh, so before we go, Jen, what is the best piece of advice you've received from another entrepreneur or entrepreneur? And what advice do you have for those educators who want to step out and they want them also to go beyond the walls of their classroom, the confines of their district, and to use their, their teacher skills, their knowledge, their expertise, their passions, 
and fulfill their purpose via entrepreneurship? So I, I think there are two things. I think there's a theme here. I think every question I always say there's two things. <laughs> I have so much to say. So the first thing is that was advice given to me by other entrepreneurs is that self-doubt, that fear doesn't ever go away. And we spoke to that a little bit before that you never get to a point where it's smooth sailing because again, your biology is going to continue to try to keep you safe. And if you're going to actively step into the unknown, you have to understand that your mind is going to freak out and not want you to do that. And will try to get you to self-sabotage in every way it knows how. And the smarter you are, the smarter your self-sabotage is. It's very sneaky. And you need to navigate that, understand that you get to calm your nervous system down, look introspectively, and go ahead and do the thing. I never say, be afraid and do it anyway, or push through the fear, because that bypasses the, the biological processes that's happening. And that's, again, pushing down this feeling of fear, which is real, right? That your mm -hmm. mind is creating this thing to keep you safe. So acknowledging it, show gratitude, right? Because A, it's keeping you safe. And B, it's almost like a green light. Because if this is the thing that it's trying to self-sabotage you about, it means that you're actually going to go out and do something different and make a really big change. So understanding the mindset of fear and how to navigate that is crucial. And that was really good advice that I had gotten from somebody really early on. And then as far as the teachers who are thinking about, you know, how do I make impact? I think it's just that it's connecting back to your why, getting really clear as to your professional mission. And if you haven't, if you haven't had the time to create one or write it down, that to me has been the most powerful tool because especially in every transition. So like I said before, my, my why is to inspire people to discover their voice. When the pandemic happened, that again, I, I went back to that and I said, well, how do I do this now? How do I inspire people to discover their voice? And it allowed me to see other potentials that I might not have seen before. And so if you think about well, what is the impact that I want to have in this world? What am, what, is the, what am I doing? What do I want? Then you can start to see what's available to you. Because again, like you said at the beginning, it's so easy to pigeonhole yourself into this little tiny space of teaching in the four walls of the classroom, but your impact can be far greater than you even realize if you connect to your purpose. And um, I, I encourage those of you who are listening who haven't done this yet to take some time to really figure that out for yourself. That will be a huge gift that you give yourself. Mm. All right, Jen, Jen. Woo! Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This was fun. You're welcome. Now, people, hey, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on the Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. I need you to subscribe and share with your colleagues, your friends, and your relatives. Because, look, I'm on all major podcast platforms, but I'm trying to grown apple podcast so hey listen people don't just subscribe i need you to listen and leave me a review because i'm trying to be found and i'm trying to get oprah on the show because i want to know that we're doing big things around here again i want to thank my guest jen rafferty for coming on and dropping so many gems and for you for checking out another episode of the dr will show the mobile university for entrepreneurs 
As always, people, invest in you. ADU, peace.